Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're so excited today. We're in our studio videoing today. We don't get to do this every podcast, but it's fun when we get to. Yes, we're always in our studio, but some days we're in our other side of the studio that's just always freezing in there. Yeah. It's a bigger room. And if you're an OG listener, we used to be like in our living rooms. In our closets. With our babies crying and Mm -hmm. dogs barking. So here we are. But we are here today with a fun interview and our new friend, Kelly Needham. So welcome, Kelly. Welcome to Going There. Guys, so glad to be here with you. Yes. Kelly is joining us from Dallas. And Kelly is a fellow podcaster. She is an author. She's a mom. She has a lot going on. And we're excited to chat with her today. So why don't you just start us off there? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your life, your work, your hobbies. Let us get to know you a bit more. Oh, man. Okay. So this is the whole interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just tell you about my life. (laughs) I've been married for 17 years, five kiddos, two adopted, three biological. So that means life has been very full and busy. Lots of ups and downs in my life, lots of hard seasons. And through all of that, I would say the thing that matters most to me and has been the most grounding stabilizing thing is my friendship with Jesus without a deep and abiding relationship with the living God. I don't know who I am and I don't know how I would be getting through each day. So I know that's like standard fair Christian spaces, but for real, the most important thing about the day-to-day of my life. So that's awesome. I am also a child of one of five children. So our family, I grew up in seven people. So what do you guys do for fun? What do you guys do in Dallas as a family of seven? You also have a array of ages right now. We do. We have quite the spread of ages. And so if we can find a safe place for water, like little water parks or splash pads, that's usually a win for everybody. We love movies. We are a movie family. So we will have movie nights together, pop popcorn and pick something that everybody likes, mom and dad included. We love doing games. We've got a whole closet of board games. So that's all really fun to all of us. I know this isn't important, but how old is your youngest baby? Almost eight months. Okay, eight months. My son just turned one. Uh, He's 13 months now. But I just should say, you do not look like you could have been married for 17 years in your skin. You look so fresh and glowy and rested. I'm like, I could be the camera. I know that's not important in the scheme of life and what you're about to share. But I just want to tell you, you look so young. You look like this fun, young, hip mom of five. So I think that's awesome. Oh, man. Well, we're done here, guys. <laughs> yeah, there you go. She's yeah. like, can we talk every single day? Yeah. Your morning no, call thank with you us. very much. Yeah. I didn't get much sleep last night, but I did get married when I was 20. So that's maybe so a conversation for another day. Oh, my but gosh. There you go. Funny. Well, yes, we will chat more about all that you're involved with, but you are an author. You're coming out with your second book. And so we're excited to dive into that. I follow you on Instagram and saw the other day that you're like, I'm launching this pre-order book. And you would think that's a really like flashy, fun thing. But I'm actually here at my house today and your house was, don't mean this like in a mean way, but it was just a mess. And you were like, this is life. This is breakfast. And my kids watch you an iPad on the counter and I have laundry sitting out here. And I was like, this is real life. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah. So, but congrats on your book. You have a new book coming out and we'll chat more about this, but it is called Purpose Fooled. But can you start off by telling us a little bit more about that? How'd you come up with this? And just tell us where are you hoping to get people in this book? Well, the book is really a result of a lot of my own personal wrestling. I got married 20, like I mentioned, to a man named Jimmy, who is uh, 
Christian recording artist in another life. He's now a pastor, but oh, we got married and went on the road, tour buses, the whole nine. So he's like performing every night, his songs, and I'm over here folding t-shirts, running the merch table, booking the flights. And I didn't even have aspirations to do anything big. I was excited to be a mom. I have a finance degree, was looking for normal mundane life anyway. But then to be paired with him and on the road with him, immediately I felt like, well, what I'm doing doesn't matter. Clearly, every night people are telling me how his music, what he's doing is changing their life. What am I doing with my life? And so immediately I started to wrestle with where does meaning come from? What is going to make my life meaningful? And of course, I had other seasons of wrestling in that through motherhood and other seasons, but it came out of a deep personal need for me to know what I'm doing today matters. I need to know that. That feels like something I'm hungry for and aching for. And yet, how do I make sense of the fact that all I did today was book some flights and fold some t-shirts? And that doesn't seem important. And I'm married to a man who's preaching the gospel from stage. That feels important. How do I make sense of that? So that's really was the birthplace of this topic, the wrestling that's behind it. Mm. I love all of that so much for two reasons. One, because I think with our demographic, the girls who listen to this, the girls we get to talk to about their thoughts on this podcast, that is, I think at the core, especially for women, I think people in general, but it's like we're all kind of searching for that. And I think back, I also got married at 20, which I always joke, that's how my life shaked out. It's not like I'm promoting that or think that's the path everyone should take. But it's weird because you're getting married and starting this adult life so young. But that's also the time that a lot of people are, you know, this phrase, figuring out who you are in our culture that's placed on a pedestal right now that's really promoted and just encouraged. You have to go find yourself. We can tell ourselves these spiritual truths of, well, I know my purpose is through Jesus because that's where my everything else flows from. He is my purpose. And then that can come out. We can know that intellectually, but you do have to go through this phase or this moment of understanding that for that to be able to impact your life and like change the way then. Yeah, for me, I didn't pursue my career that I had wanted in broadcast journalism because I got married really young and we had to stay in a certain location for my husband's job. And so at first that's all fun and fine. And then you wake up and you're like, wait a second, should I be doing something big? What about me? And so it does take this redirection of, hey, there is something beautiful in the way that I'm nannying these kids or I'm cooking us dinner and learning how to serve my husband, which all the things that you're saying. But I just love that because our culture, I think probably more than ever is screaming, no, you deserve, not only should you go find your purpose, you deserve that. That's where the happiness then will be found. So I like that you're speaking on this from a biblical point. Well, that's really the cultural model of how to find purpose and meaning is change your activities change what you're doing. What you're doing gives you meaning. So discover what you're good at, discover the things that you want to do, then go find ways to do it. And I'm not even saying that that's bad to figure out what you're good at and to find ways to do it. But if your purpose comes from what you do, you will always be enslaved to what you do. You will never be free from it. And even writing, I love writing. I think I'm discovered I'm good at it. People have affirmed that. I've had opportunities to do it. It feels like something worth doing. But if writing is my purpose, now I have to write. That's how I get meaning. And I need meaning. My hope in this book too is that people wouldn't demonize those longings. The longing to do something great, to be seen, to make an impact, to have something unique to do. I think those are all good longings, 
But if they're tied to what we do, then we're enslaved to what we do. I actually started writing this book at the beginning of 2020. So my first book released the fall of 2019. I already had this on my mind. I set aside time. I made a whole plan. And then you know what happened, right? I had three elementary age kids at the time. They all came home and distance learned. And I was like, okay, if my purpose in life is to write, if that's where I find meaning, then 2020 was a death sentence for me. I had to shelve every other thing to care for my family in some really stressful and unique ways like everybody did. But when purpose is outside of what you do, you're not free to do what you love, yes, but also to embrace seasons where you have to do the things you don't love and not lose your sense of meaning and purpose there. But all that takes more, like you said, Samantha, than just like an intellectual knowing. You've got to figure out now, how do I connect these deep longings in my heart with the person of Christ, but also beyond that, how does that now play out when I wake up on Monday morning and my to-do list is a mile long with things that I don't like? (laughs) How do I make sense of my longings and my tasks in front of me? And how does Jesus figure into all that? Yeah, start us off there because obviously we can all recognize we all feel this deep longing to find our purpose, to feel like almost we constantly feel like we were made for more. Why do you think that is that way? I think we're made for more because we're made in the image of God, the one who creates galaxies and designed snowflakes and came up with pregnancy and the human eyeball. I just talk about the most infinitely glorious being in existence. And we're made in his image. To me, that helps me make sense of there's a reason I can't get excited about homemaking sometimes or motherhood. I wasn't made for that. I was made for something so much more than just a job to do, if that makes sense. Now, I know that's maybe feels like, yeah, of course, made in the image of God. But I think that's where that longing comes from. God is so much more vast than we could imagine. And we were made to swim in the glory that he has for us. And I think staring at a night sky, it's like, yeah, this is why I hunger for more. I was made in the image of someone infinite. And so I'm always having this deep ache to do more. And I think Jesus validates that when you see his disciples come and they're asking questions about who's the greatest. You know, he doesn't say, stop trying to be great. You guys have the wrong question. He honors their question with a genuine and direct answer and says, okay, I'll tell you who the greatest are. But of course, it's very backward to us. We don't understand it. But he does honor their longing for greatness. I think the longing for greatness, the longing for more is put in us by God for God and can only be met in deep fellowship with him and in living with that reality being your gravitational pull. Yeah. I like that you're talking about this spectrum almost. I'm picturing I'm a very visual person. So as you're speaking, I'm taking it in and I'm viewing the spectrum of we know that in our culture now, there are a lot of lies that we're kind of having to sift through because there's a lot of really good sounding isms is kind of like how I think or like the Instagram where they quote post and you'll read it and it sounds really good. And then you kind of think through it or hopefully this is why we're really passionate about teaching girls to like know God's word and to live in community with God relationship with Jesus every day because we have to have something decipher these messages. So I think in the Christian world now we can sense this completely going away from that. And then a lot of people have had negative experiences with Christianity or the church or with mentors maybe that told them, no, you actually need to push down that creative whatever urge you have. I was in a conversation the other day just about how in the 90s, we're little kids, 
this idea of the perfect Christian mom maybe was like you shouldn't desire to work or have any creative outlets. And it's like nowadays, that's so much easier to kind of be able to do both. And so I love that you're saying it's on a spectrum. You don't have to go to one extreme or the other, but it's like, it's possible that this, what you're saying, this crazy creative God created all these things around us could make us newsflash complex people that like do want to be moms and can find purpose in folding our kids laundry, but also could have desires to create and do more outside of the home too. And so I love that you're saying it doesn't have to be one or the other, that we are complex and that through seeking Jesus, we can explore and discover how to find our purpose in him. And then the other things don't have to mean so much. They don't have to carry so much weight, like you were saying with your writing and things. You know what I think is so freeing? I think a lot of times it's easy as a Christian to like look around this culture right now and sometimes be like, oh gosh, the messages are so confusing. Everyone's searching for their purpose. Everyone's searching for their next big break, whatever it may be. I actually sit here and even as we have this conversation, I'm a huge Enneagram 3 It's done, but I'm an achiever to my core. And so I have to fight this battle all the time to not find my identity in what I do. But I think it's so cool an opportunity we have as Christians is that if we are in communion with God, that if we are reading his word every day, then we get the wisdom and the discernment to hear these messages from the world or from the culture and meet up with a friend. And as they're diving into the message of the culture, we get to actually say, you know what? I think that's a really awesome longing you have. And I actually believe that comes from the person who created you. And so I sit here and I'm like, what an opportunity we have as Christians in community to actually take these things that the world has kind of skewed to actually say, no, I get that longing because I believe you were made with that longing from a creator who wants you to desire being made for more because he made you for a lot. And I think there's a really cool thing that we miss a really easy opportunity to actually take it back to God a time and time again. I like that perspective. Absolutely. And I think that some of the misguided responses from us as Christians is what you're talking about earlier. Not go big, go small. We kind of have these do extraordinary. No, do the ordinary. I mean, you even see it in some of the books that have come out in the last five to 10 years. And I think both missed the mark because they're still both focused on actions. Do big things. No, do small things. They're still about what you're doing. When I really think it doesn't matter that much what you're doing as much as it matters who you're doing it for and who you're doing it with and who is guiding and empowering that doing, whether it's leading you to traditionally big things or traditionally small things or a combination of both, doesn't matter so much as the person those actions are all centered on. And I think it is a freeing message because it applies to the person who's in suffering, who's maybe lost a lot, or maybe is now a caregiver for someone. Yeah, I'd love to be chasing my dreams, but I can't there's good news in this message for them. But there's also freeing news for the person who is like those of us who are wired to achieve and to climb the mountain. Ecclesiastes will tell us, yeah, get to the top of the mountain. There's nothing there. Achieving by itself can't accomplish you anything, which is kind of the message of that book in the scriptures. But with the person of God alongside you, who is your meaning, now every task takes on significance, no matter what it is. It doesn't de-escalate tasks. If anything, I think it elevates every task to a place of weightiness. It's like, yeah, this podcast matters. Absolutely. People are hearing this and will be blessed by it. God can use it. And yes, the email I send later matters. And yes, the conversation I have with my neighbor matters. And also, if I get to speak on a stage, that's going to matter. But we don't need to weigh them differently anymore, which I find to be freeing where I'm always driven, like you said, to achieve. It's like I now have freedom to rest a little bit, to 
change how I think about my tasks and to embrace curveball seasons of, well, didn't plan on this one. This is what God has set before me and my meaning is with him. So I don't have to worry and cling to these things I'm afraid of losing. They're not my source of significance anymore. I want to repeat and just highlight what you just said there, because I thought the part you said of that these things are guided and empowered. Think about who they are guided by and empowered by. I think that is so powerful because, again, we all have these longings. We all have these dreams. And those aren't bad things. But talk to the girl, Kelly, who is sitting there and they're like, okay, so my dreams and my desires aren't bad. So what do I do with that? How should I think about these longings of these big things I want to do when maybe they're not happening right now? What would you say to her? Well, I would first say, even if you got everything you wanted, it won't be enough. So in the sense of the activities, what you do, I would like to be a photographer one day and do wedding photography and have my own business and that support me fully. Great. Let's just imagine down the road, say it's five, 10 years down the road, you get that thing. It's actually not going to satisfy that itch that you have of like, oh, does my life matter? Fill in the blank of whatever that is. I know that's kind of a downer, but I think that is freeing to just look forward and go, if I get everything I wanted, it won't actually satisfy this longing for meaning. Okay, let's start there. But those longings are good. Don't demonize them. Let's put names to them. And I try to do that a little bit in the book to put some language to the longings I have in my heart. So one of them is, I want to make an impact. I don't care who knows me. I want to make an impact. Great. That's a longing. Now, let me do the work to figure out how does that get fulfilled in Christ, not in this thing that I'm chasing, which isn't wrong for me to chase. And so as I'm pursuing maybe a dream that's set in front of me, I can be free from it knowing it can't satisfy me in the end. Those longings are good. I need to take them to Jesus as I chase this thing. And that's both going to give me the ability to do the task I want to do, wedding photography, for example, and not be enslaved to it and actually serve my clients, not need them to make me feel meaningful and also embrace any change of direction that God might bring, whether it's my mom gets diagnosed with cancer and now I need to care for her. I'm not attached to this dream I had. I'm free to follow Jesus where he leads while also pursuing things I want to pursue, but I'm now utterly free from them all and able to do them with purpose and conviction and joy for the right reasons, because I'm now seeing my desire to make an impact is going to be found in the person of Jesus as I live for him in every moment of the day, that he's going to make my actions impactful through my faith ultimately. And that's true in the chasing of my dream and in the dying of my dream. When that has to happen in both places, I can leave an impact on this earth. And it's still, while I still chase the thing, I think it's fine to set a goal in front of you. As long as we know in the end, it won't be enough, even if we get it. I love that you talk about the dying of a dream because I think about the person. One thing I have learned in my pursuit of just being an achiever and really coming to God and laying that before him of like, I don't really want to strive this way, but why do I always do it? One thing that I think is really freeing is that because we're humans, we will fail. And when a dream is dying, there's actually freedom and joy in that because you're like, awesome. That's God closing a door. That's something saying like, okay, not my thing anymore. I think on this podcast, we talk all the time about how do you get wisdom? How do you find discernment? How do you make a good decision? And I think it always goes back to, again, everyone probably knows what we're going to say, but you have to be reading God's word. You have to be in 
community with him. You have to be pursuing a relationship with him. You have to be talking to him. I love what you said in the intro in your bio. You're like, and my greatest privilege is my friendship with Jesus. You think of him as a friend. You walk with him so closely that you can gain wisdom from his word and therefore make wise decisions. And so you're not questioning constantly, oh gosh, is this the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? What should I be doing next? You're like, I can be at peace. Even if things change down the road, the opposite direction, I can feel peace that that's what God had for me in the time because my purpose and my achieving and all my sense of worth was not tied up in this one thing. Absolutely. Because that will happen for sure. And it's just refreshing. Again, we have younger listeners who are fresh out of college, figuring themselves out phase. I just want to reiterate, I do feel I even probably fall into it. If someone says, hey, it's okay to have dreams, it's okay to follow them. I'll be like, yeah. And then wait, though, you're telling me you want to just do this crazy thing that goes really against what society would say would be the normal path. Are you thinking practically and have you planned all this out? I can go there. And so it's even refreshing and humbling for me to hear that, again, on this spectrum, it's okay to have both. It's okay to be able to sit in, okay, maybe my life does look more ordinary or mundane, but I feel really fulfilled because I'm pursuing Jesus. Or maybe I do have an opportunity to do something big. And I think in the Christian world now, there has been some harm in the celebrity Christian culture of people doing quote unquote big things. And with social media, it's easier for anyone to be able to like put out what they're doing. And I think that gets murky because it's like, what am I doing for self? What am I doing to actually, you were talking about leave a lasting impact. I think it's really easy to get those two things mixed up. But ultimately, like we don't need to be the police of you're doing big things. Sometimes I think maybe that's our own jealousy or insecurity of thinking, wow, you had a dream and you went for it. And I don't have that courage or like felt that on my heart, but I was worried about what people would say or think around me or how that would look in my life practically. And so I like that you're giving that dreamer girl too the freedom to say, oh, it's not wrong for me to want to go and do this big thing that I'm feeling called to do. I don't know. I just thought that was encouraging. Well, and again, in that same way, if we have the idea that, hey, God's called us to all different things and I can be joyful in maybe the ordinary of what my life feels like, or I can look at someone else that maybe is living what I think is extraordinary in their life, I can also champion and celebrate that too, because they're also doing work for the kingdom that is making an impact, hopefully in a positive way, obviously that reflects his character. And so I just think that's really awesome. Obviously, we've talked a ton about if we're going to pursue a life not built on our worth and our purpose bound and what we're doing, but we're going to build it on what the Bible talks about, can you give our listeners and just us now some areas that in the Bible it talks about where can we learn more about our purpose? What does Jesus say about our purpose? What has he made us for? Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it's all over the place, but... Pretty much all pages of all books. (laughs) I think once you have eyes to see this, that you're not made for verbs, for things to do. You're made for a noun. You're made for a person. You're going to see it all over the place. It's everywhere from Jesus saying, this is eternal life, that they know me, that they know God through Jesus, or Jesus in Colossians is described as the one for whom all things are made, which means if you were made by him, which you were, you're made for Christ. Or if you look at how the New Testament talks about calling, you just brought up this word calling. What are you called to do? We almost only talk about it that way. Things I'm called to do, but that's not how the New Testament talks. By and large, most references of calling is that we are called to Christ. We are called to a person, not to a task. There's a very small number of people that we see a unique type of 
verb-based call on their life. But every other way that the Bible says, consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you are noble or wise or this, but you are called to Christ in salvation. Or in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43 will say, these are my people who I made for myself. That God will say, I made people for me, both to enjoy me and to know me, to let others know about me, which feels right so hard. Is that really satisfying enough? He's an invisible God. How can that really satisfy this itch I have, this drive I have to achieve and to do? And that's what my book is. I'm trying to help hold people's hands through that whole process. But I think if you have that lens, let me read the Bible with this sense of what am I made for? You will see from beginning to end, we are made for a person, to know a person. That's where we end in Revelation is we are with God. In some ways, it's like the classic chick flick ending to a movie and they lived happily ever after, which if that's the story, if you're watching a chick flick, the end goal is that two people are together. You don't care at all what they're doing. If anything, they're changing what they're doing to be with each other. Titanic, Jack and Rose, she's like, I'm going to leave my whole society and everything behind to go be poor with you. But she doesn't care what she's doing so long as she's with him because it's a person-based meaning that's being given in those chick flicks. And essentially, that's what we see in the scriptures. We're given person-based meaning. So long as I'm with him, it doesn't matter as much what I'm doing anymore. I'm now freed to do anything, which is why it says, whatever you do in the New Testament, I think three or four times, whatever you do, do it, working hard for the Lord, eat and drink to the glory of God, whatever you do. So the Bible has a category for it, whatever you do, it doesn't matter as much what you're doing, who you're doing it for, who you're doing it with, that's what's going to satisfy you. So chase the dream, die to the dream, both at the same time, all of it finds immense meaning and significance when you can recognize I'm made for a noun, not for verbs. And that's so liberating. Yeah. And isn't that the gospel right there, that we don't have to do anything for our creator to want to know us, that we don't have to achieve anything. We don't have to check 12 boxes and be perfect before we come to him, that he says, no, you're welcome to come to me anytime. I mean, the number of Psalms that talk about just come and sit with me, be with me, be my child, come to me. I mean, the number of I am sitting there saying that is the gospel, that we have a creator who has created us saying, no, you don't have to do anything. No verbs, literally nothing, but just be with me. And we make it so complicated. Well, I think that's what empowers doing, actually. Where my book ends is we will see if we can base our meaning around a noun, that we will now have all the energy and strength we need to have a life full of activity for him. That it's the only thing that I think empowers lifelong running hard after Jesus. We're called to run the race that is set before us with our eyes fixed on him. You see Paul, who's preaching this message, saying, I worked harder than any of them. Not I, but Christ in me. You see a man working hard. So this message, it should give us rest. You said the yoke is easy, the burden is light. It frees us to have days of rest, time knowing him, because that's what we were made for. But also, I think it liberates us from needing our verbs so much. I don't need them to be okay. Now I can do them freely with energy and joy and peace. It frees us to now be liberated to work hard with him and for him and without so much just weightiness and heaviness on it, if that makes sense. Mm, I like that a That's lot. That's so good. You're helping even me reframe this. You know, I've never heard it put the way of you're not 
It's not what you're doing, this verb versus noun analogy that's really even making me kind of think through things. So we can have that head knowledge, and that's what your book is helping people understand you were saying. But what are some ways that we can start then living that out practically? It can have this knowledge in our head. We were talking about this in the beginning, but how does that look in our day-to-day, which you've already shared some examples, but do you have any other practical things you could leave people with? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with knowing him. If we are made for him, then we won't find the significance we long for apart from him. And I think we talk a lot about God as believers, and we talk a lot about knowing him, but I find that very few people feel really empowered to meet with him in a meaningful way in the privacy of their own home. We'd rather talk about him than talk to him. It's easier. It's just hard. How do I have a relationship with the unseen God? That's hard. And I think that's where we start. And I think that we could say so many things about that. You've already said it, get in the word. But even more than that, I think if you could put on your relational hat with what you do with friends, with spouses, and take all those skills and direct them to God, that's a great place to start. That would mean things like, Meet with God without a phone or distraction. How many times would you feel offended by your friend if every time they met with you, their phone was in their hand in front of their face? I wouldn't share much of my heart with that friend if they were treating me that way. Well, why would I expect God to share his heart with me if I won't give him the same amount of focus and attention? Or we know relationships are two-way streets. It's not just one person talking and then getting up and be like, see you later, bye. (laughs) But if we do that to the Lord, it's not gonna go very deep. I need to both share my heart and also hear his heart through reading the word. I need to give it time. Every relationship gets deeper with time, consistent time. You guys talked about your friendship together. You know, it's like that comes through time spent together. So I think if we could take everything we know about relationships and just apply them by faith in those private moments with our Bible, with a journal at home, if we're not doing that, we just won't be satisfied in the ways that we were meant to be. That knowing of God is what empowers really meaningful doing. And so I think that that's probably where we all need to start is making sure that we're there. Because if it's true that we're made for a person, then that means life is more about knowing than doing anyway. That's why Jesus would say eternal life is found in knowing him. That's what the fruit of the new covenant is that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. That's one day they would all know me. Not one day they would all do great things for me. One day they will know me. That's the fruit that we have by the blood of Christ. And we start by enjoying that as much as we can for five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, and then get up and face the task in front of us, knowing that God has put them there and he's with us in them. And that will lead to a deeply meaningful life. Quick question, because I'm just dying to hear, because you're a mom of five, you're an author, you have a podcast with your husband. A lot of us would look at you and say, wow, her life is really busy. When does she read her Bible? Because I actually love to hear these practical. So what does that look like for you? I'm curious. Yeah. What time do you wake up? Oh, oh my gosh. eight month old. You're like, when do I go to sleep is the question. <laughs> I wake up when my baby wakes up. So I'll say a couple of things. One, I no longer have time with God daily that is alone. My kids are around because that's what my life requires right now. That means I have to train them some and they understand that when mom's Bible is open and her journal's out, you don't talk to mom because she's talking to somebody else. The same way if I had a friend over or I was counseling somebody or somebody's in my living room, they would know, oh, don't interrupt. Trying to give them the same category. God is here and I'm meeting with him. And so I've just got to do that with them around. And that means the baby's in the playpen or in a desperate moment where I'm really struggling and I need to talk to the Lord, we're going to put on a show, shameless screen time, because I need to meet with God. I also didn't 
start writing this book until we hired an assistant. So I will say that. I think it's a lie of social media and maybe American mindset that we can do it all. We can't do it all. And so with my community around me before even entering into some of those other things of podcasting and writing, that was a communal decision. It's like, well, let's hire you some help before you do that. Great. So I actually have someone who works for our family who does everything from some grocery shopping occasionally, returning things to the store, all of that, because I just have limited time. So I'm going to put it toward writing, other things like that. I can't let it eat up my time with God. If it does, then what does it even matter? (laughs) I'm made for him. And so I've regularly had to ask myself how to outsource certain things or just go, I would prefer to have a better menu on the dinner table this week. That's not going to happen right now because of swim lessons or summer or whatever it is. I'm not going to cut my time with him. I will cut my other preferences of how I'd prefer my house to be or my life to be. But I've had to flex in every season to meet with him. That is so good. I feel like I've learned that or I've been learning over the past two years how you've in your last practical of how you were sharing. Yeah, if we shifted the way that we view our relationship with God, like a relationship with friends or other people in our life. And I feel like one of the ways I've seen that play out is, okay, yeah, when a stressful thing happens, what do I normally do? Or hard news comes along. It's like, well, I would call up friends or I call my mom and call my husband and we talk things through and I go through this emotional thing. And it's like, first of all, I'm called to bring things to Jesus first. And so like you said, when I can shift thinking about God as my friend, then I'm finding myself lately, like had some hard news on Wednesday. And the first thought I had was getting in my car and I prayed through it before I picked up my phone or texted a friend. And I remember being like, wow, because you want to meet me like that. You want to see my life just ebb together with you in different seasons. And it's going to look different ways. My one-year-old sleeps in a little bit later now. So I can get up while my kids are still sleeping and have some of that quiet time. But for the first year, it usually doesn't look like that with a baby. So it's like being adaptable and not getting so stuck. This is the way you're talking about with doing. This is the way it has to look for me to know God. How do you make your life walk alongside with Jesus, just like you would your husband, your kids, your friends? And so I love that. And just even pointing out the non-negotiable you have put on your time with Jesus. I would say, if I didn't get to read my Bible today, why? Well, I'm just too busy. I had so many things to go on. You're like, no, I'm choosing to eat the lesser thing that I really want to feed my kids that night because like, actually I needed to meet with Jesus first. And then I couldn't work on that meal that I wanted to do. And so we'll just eat the chicken nuggets tonight or whatever it may be. I think we have that so opposite so often. What a world that would look like if we were willing to say, no, this is my non-negotiable. Everything else is a negotiable thing in my life that I can flex and change. Right. Well, and that comes back to what we've been talking about. As our culture tells us, meaning is found in what you do, how you perform, what kind of meals do you serve your kids? It's all doing based. And to sit and know God requires we stop doing. It's the most backward religion in the world, which we know it's the only true religion, but in this ecosystem with God, he's doing the work and he's asking us to rest, which is why he gives Sabbath day one to the Israelites, newly freed, take a day of rest. I want you to know your relationship with me as one of sitting still and receiving that you get to receive from me as I do the work for you. In every other world religion, the worshiper is doing the work, but in our religion, the one being worshiped is doing the work for us. It's amazingly beautiful, but again, so hard to live out because it requires I sit down on my couch or my floor or wherever and stop doing 
to know him. And so it's going to confront in us immediately everything that we've bought into that says, I find meaning in what I accomplished today. It's going to immediately require a death, which is why I think so many of us struggle with it. And I think it's helped me to own that. When I sit down, I feel like something in me is dying and squirming around inside. Yeah, it is. (laughs) My sense of identity, my doing today is being killed off right now. And it feels like death. And that's okay that it feels that way. But if I can acknowledge it, it helps me to sit there and die to it and then embrace the better thing that God is giving me today, which is he's looking at me saying, I'm not asking you to work your butt off for me. I'm asking you to rest with me and receive from me. It is the better thing. Will you do that? It's beautiful and hard. And that's somehow, you know, you're walking with him, the narrow road. It's both better than you ever thought and harder than you ever thought all at the same time. And when we can do that with one another, share honestly about our times together, it helps to know, oh, someone else is fighting for that time too and dying to their desire to find meaning in what they do. I'm going to work on that too and receive the better thing, which is the free gift of relationship with him and knowing him. That's so good. Kelly, you have so many good thoughts. Yes. Will you tell everyone where you are able to find your new book? I think it's on pre-order now. Yeah. Um, It doesn't come out to August, but tell people where they can find it. You can pre-order it pretty much anywhere you buy books, even on Audible. And so we have audiobook coming out for it. But if you pre-order it and go to purposefool.com, you can actually turn in your pre-order information and start reading it today and get the first the introduction and the first whole section of the book. And I'm actually going to do a live Bible study as well, starting in July for anyone who pre-orders, just digging into four different people in the scriptures and looking at how they found meaning in their life and what that looked like. So yeah, you can find it anywhere books are sold, pre-order it, it comes out August 1st. That's awesome. And people can follow along with you on Instagram. Also, are you the one that read your audiobook? Yes. Oh, fine. I, I read love my when audio- the authors I read the audiobooks. Yes. Well, we so appreciate your time today. And I've just been really encouraged by our little chat today. So I hope everyone listening feels the same way. So thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.